Residential Lighting Specialist to Arc Residential Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, our contributing editor, Michael Heiss, joins us from his home in Los Angeles to talk about his most recent articles on the latest smart home products and technologies. We'll discuss some of the challenges and maybe benefits of introducing new consumer tech during COVID times and find out how soon you'll need to replace your current 4K TV with a model featuring mini LEDs. Michael Heiss, thanks for returning to the podcast. Thank you anytime. Good to talk to you, Jeremy. Hey, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live has the Five Timers Club. I, yeah. I'm sure you know about that. You are now officially part of, this is a very young podcast. You're part of the Two Timers Club. Now, that's Do I get a jacket, you know, like Tom Hanks got for being on the Five Timer Club? <laughs> right. No, not yet. Uh, we'll, we'll save that for the third the third uh, <laughs> visit. I, I don't have that kind of budget. but uh, Now we need some swag. You know, but you talked about trade shows. Um, you know, we need some swag. So I can have a thing that says uh, residential tech. But that's one of the things I miss uh, about not having in-person trade shows. I had to go out and buy T-shirts. Oh, my God. Like, there are no tchotchkes. There's no T-shirts. Um, the last, uh, you know, before things sort of, you know, just went underground, T-shirts were replaced as the swag of choice yeah. by socks. Oh, oh, right. And, and a lot of the, especially, you know, the uh, Silicon Valley companies, Roku and and a bunch of others were handing out socks. <laughs> okay. Was that a hit with you at all? Are you wearing these socks? I'm sure you don't miss yes, the Yes, the ones I have now are from uh, August. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're not literally from August. They're from a company called August. No, they're from the lock guys. Yes, exactly. Okay. I, I was hoping that it wasn't that I hadn't been washed since August. That would have been bad. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so you are self, self-described in an article that you wrote for me, uh, a, a show dog, right? That's what the term mm-hmm. was he is, similar yeah. to a road dog for a, uh, for a sales person. Yeah. Um, so you, uh, you miss this in-person thing, not just the tchotchkes, but actually physically engaging with people, seeing products in person. I'm not a show guy. I don't love it. I was wishing for a career path that someday that I could not have to go to trade shows. And I think it's Stockholm syndrome where you fall in love ah. with your captor because I miss them now too, <laughs> or phantom limb. I don't know what to call it, but I, I can't believe I miss those damn things. But I, I do dream of a day of one time returning to an in-person event where I can actually absorb a bunch of content ideas in one place and not have to try to do them virtually. How, how bad has it been for you? Well, I mean, it's funny. It's, you know, thinking about this before we started today, it's it's both good and bad. I don't miss the travel wear and tear. Um, I miss, but I miss the miles. I'm a miles whore, right? <laughs> so, you know, I miss the tchotchkes and the miles. Um, I, you know, don't miss uh, being away from home uh, for extended periods of time, but particularly because I go to shows like ISC, I miss going to... Uh, you know, shows in Europe and, and whatnot. Right. But there are some good and bad points, which I think go to where we should all take into consideration is shows eventually come back. Yes, I absolutely miss the ability to see, hear, feel. Um, you know, how did that TV look? 
I don't know, you know, <laughs> looking at it on my, my monitor, it looked okay. But well, did this brand look better than that brand? I, I don't know. And that's something that you miss. I mean, uh, compare it to things you can buy online and things you've got to see. Or I've ordered groceries online. It's sort of the peak of all of this. Mm-hmm. And I'm very particular about my groceries. And you check off, I want this, that, and the other thing. But unless you're there to you know, feel it and see it, you don't know. And, and, and that goes with, with things in, in our world as well. Um, one of the good things, particularly about shows uh, such as Cedia Expo and CES and even, uh, I mean, I made a list, uh, uh, NAB, Infocom, uh, Display Weeks, things like that, where there's a heavy educational content, the ability to have things online for a month or so after the show is really great. As a reporter covering a show for uh, residential tech, you have to sit in a room with a thousand people, have your notebook on your lap, make sure your phone battery doesn't run out, pick up your camera to take uh, photos. It's a lot easier when you sit at your desk and you have a notebook in front of you and you can stop. Oh, wait a minute. What did he say? And right. you can go back. So it, it it's not a total win. Uh, one is good. One is bad. There are uh, good parts to both. And from what I understand, as an example, um, CES is going to be hybrid this year. Uh, ISE, I know, is going to be hybrid. That said, I've made my plane reservation, not my plane reservations yet, but my hotel reservations for CES. I've got my uh, teaching schedule for Expo. I'll be there. Uh, but beyond that, you know, who knows? They're the only things I'm looking forward to uh, is next week I get my second shot and the first haircut, you see, now you don't have to worry about that, <laughs> no. but I'm getting my first haircut in four months. Well, it's about time. the woman that does my hair uh, lives up in Northern California. And she said, I can finally come down. Ah. So, you know, there are things you miss and there are things you don't miss. Well, I, I'm with you. Um, you know, I think we, we talked a bunch of people have talked about the, the really creative way that Sony was able to do their presentation for CD Expo virtually. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, the building basically a set to 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 walk you through. Uh, of course, they've got all the, the equipment to do that and make it make it awesome. But uh, for for CES, which is the most recent big event that would have been in person that was virtual, um, it seemed like that that for me what I always get from you first and foremost is a is a video report on new TVs, new technologies going into video. Um, It seemed to me that the show is it's becoming so big, it's always evolving. It's always sort of changing focus and direction. Uh, There were there were some things you wrote about that were away from the video category. Did you still find that there was a lot of video technology news? There was, but in the especially in the case of the the big companies, the Sony's, LG's, uh, Samsung's, uh, uh, TCL, they all held. And now we are press people, so that we can absorb the information and and play it out to the readers and viewers. They all held pre-show events or briefings that gave us the opportunity to see things 
in a smaller group of people and have the ability to ask questions. No, I don't miss the first thing you do when you walk into uh, uh, Las Vegas Convention Center, you make an immediate right turn and you go through the LG tunnel. And there are hundreds of people in the booth, which you can walk by, see what you want. And if you don't understand something, I have a question, you can find somebody to assist you. That's something where trade shows virtually are harder because if there are that same couple of hundred people stacked up and I'm jumping out of my chair for a question, but I'm waiting in line or I can't say, yeah, I'll come back later. It, it just doesn't work that way. And I think that's the part that I, I found uh, the most difficult. And, and another thing we were talking about before, uh, before we started recording, particularly when it comes not for the big companies, but the little companies, the show, the, the companies that you didn't know you came to see. And mm -hmm. I wrote about a lot of them, uh, you know, for you. And it's, we can't get pictures because usually I'd walk down Eureka Park and go snap, 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 and take pictures of these things. But if you can't see them, you can't get the pictures. And I, I think that may have worked to the disadvantage of some cool companies that had innovative products, I think they missed the exposure and we in, in our industry missed the opportunity to know that something that we can use or adapt is out there. Right. Well, I do want to touch on some of those companies, whether they realize that we're talking about them or not, because they are, they're just not on the radar yet. But they but... do send pictures. <laughs> yes, exactly. But first, um, I kind of want to do, go in a little bit more chronological order about sure. how you covered it for me. And one of the big topics that you first mentioned out of CES was mini LED. And I wanted to understand a little bit better how this backlighting technology improves uh, the picture quality on these TVs, as far as you can understand it. Well, mini LED actually is, is pretty easy uh, to describe. Uh, initially, LCDs, uh, LCD sets, when people call it LED, I'm gonna, gonna jump down their throat. They're <laughs> LCD, for the most part, <coughs> excuse me, they're LCD panels. And since LCD panels are not self-illuminating, they're not emissive, you have to have some light to shine through the panel. Originally, those were done with uh, CCFLs, compact fluorescent bulbs. That's environmentally and energy-wise inefficient. So the companies went to LEDs, either LEDs behind or LEDs on the edge that light up the picture. They're both good. Backlit is better because you have more control over which LEDs are on and off because if you look at a plasma in the, in the day, remember plasma, or an OLED, they're not only emissive, but you can literally turn on and off every pixel. And when they're off, they're off. Right. With backlit, it's better than edgelit, but it's still, you know, people, that's why people always talk about dimming zones. How many dimming zones, which means how many segments of the picture can you turn the LEDs on and off? Mm -hmm. Mini LEDs, as the name you know uh, shows, are smaller. They're not micro LEDs. They're mini LEDs. So you have more of them behind the LCD panel. You therefore have more control over 
the brightness in the dimming zone. And because there are more of them, you have more brightness. Hmm. It's expensive. It's not as cheap as a regular edge-lit uh, panel or even a, a nominal uh, backlit panel, but you're going to start, it's not going to be everywhere. It's being touted, and, and I think correctly so, as a competitor to OLED. Okay. Over time, the question is, like any other technology in our world, how soon and by how much will the cost come down? Mm -hmm. All driven by the manufacturing side of things. And right, right now, those guys are in a world of hurt. Um, there are a lot of issues with semiconductors, and you know, perhaps off to the side. But if anybody has seen in the news um, about the initiatives to try and cure the supply chain, it's 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 not a joke. Um, and, and then you add on to that in our world, AKM, which is a major component supplier of things like DACs and some of the high performance audio components that a huge fire and their factory burned down. Mm. And when you have sole source parts, you're in a world of hurts. Then you compound that by the fact that the automotive world is sort of sucking out a lot of parts uh, out of the market and even they can't get them. And let me see, automotive industry, consumer electronics, who right. wins? Right. So uh, I think it's not uh, gonna be unexpected to see some product shortages mm. going into the year as the combination of uh, manufacturers trying to figure out what to do when you have, as an example, an AVR that's dependent upon a sole source part and when the supply runs out, you're hosed. Wow. Not their fault, but yeah. you know that kind of thing is going to have an impact on on the industry. But I digress. Well, and, and so back to Mini LED. That that you said specifically that Sony is not using that yet. They probably are on their own path because Sony does often have its own proprietary uh, technologies. But uh, I, I did sooner or later they'll they, I think they'll have to do it okay unless they take the leap and from a, a pricing standpoint it just it just isn't there yet to okay. go to um, micro LEDs where you do see the LED you know like Samsung's the wall and, and right. similar kind of products um, and Sony was one of the first to show that at a CES like five years ago mm. but you're going to see TCL is pushing that big. Samsung will have it. LG will have it. Other brands will have it. And, you know, for somebody that's making the selection as, as to what uh, display to use, it becomes another option. See, this is why I took so long to, to actually buy a new TV. I had a plasma, much too small, 42 inch, which was great at the time. And then it became ridiculously small compared to everything that was on the market, but I could not let go of that that plasma. And I just, I kept seeing, well, they're bad. This, this thing's better than that thing. I, I can't afford it though. It's too much. And then I finally just bit the bullet and, and got uh, an LCD TV with LED backlight. And then only when I started, it, it took months until I realized the flaw in my, my choice, my decision, which was those dark scenes where you've got a a bright element with the black background and it just bleeds around it. You can see the lighting. It's almost like sure. a spotlight hitting that area. 
And it's just one of those things you don't experience in a demo because they're not trying to show you that. <laughs> and that's hard to see. And, and, you know, again, to some of the points that we're discussing today, that's really hard to see even in the best, you know, highest production value demo reel. And I'm sitting here watching it on, a, I mean, it is a 1080p uh, monitor on my computer, but it's just, you can't see some of those artifacts by the nature of the process. If you like plasma, you want an, an OLED. I know, I know. I, a I, mini I, LED mm -hmm. will almost be as good. And when you add in quantum dot and a few other things, it's a toss up and it becomes as much as anything, you know, whether the, you know, the people are listening here are, are consumers or people in the industry. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of price brand preference and um, the other things that attach to a display, the style, is it a thin bezel or a thick bezel? And do you like the remote control? And something that's becoming increasingly important is how much of the smart TV um, app accessibility is built into a display. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a fan of outboard streamers. Right, me too. Because no matter what's built into the set, and there are a lot of, make no mistake about it, there are a lot of good ones. I just would rather spend another, you know, somewhere between uh, 50 and as much as 200 bucks for an outboard streamer because the content is going to be updated more frequently and the life of that will go on. The upgrade cycle uh, for smart TVs has generally been about kind of three-ish years. Mm -hmm. So the smarts, I won't, won't name the brand in the, the 65 inch 4k that it's in our den. It ain't, you know, it'd that's be, smart. be, and that's it. That's mm -hmm. why it's got, well, it's me, but that's why it's got an Apple TV, a fire TV, uh, an Nvidia shield and a Roku attached to it. Right. So, in addition, you, you covered about new screen sizes, uh, new trends, I guess, in screen sizes. 75 is the new 65. Yeah. So those are going to be the most widespread uh, models. And I mean, that's just crazy to think. I, I upgraded to 65 and I couldn't believe how it dominated the room. Now we've gotten used to it. But wow, 75 is a big TV. And you also mentioned game-centric TVs. What's that mean? Well, uh, there's a lot of technology that's going into uh, displays or TV sets these days, and to some extent in conjunction with HDMI uh, 2.1, that make it better when you play a game. And the um, uh, one that's at the forefront of that uh, uh, list of things is VRR, which means that you've got games rather than what you're looking at now or when you're watching TV tonight and binging something over the weekend, it's got a frame rate and the frame rate is the frame rate is the frame rate and it doesn't change. Games have a variable frame rate, variable refresh. And if the output is changing faster than the display can react, you're gonna get tearing. You're gonna get all sorts of funky artifacts. VRR, variable refresh rate, is a way to mitigate that 
you know, depending upon the technology to a greater or a lesser degree. So if you're a gamer, having that feature is a reason to buy a TV set. Having HDMI 2.1 is a reason to buy a new TV set. I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say it. You know, I love shows. I love tchotchkes. And um, I won a Sony PlayStation in one of the uh, press events. Don't have it yet. <laughs> but for that, and I'm not a gamer, so it's not a big deal. But if I were a gamer, I'd want to think about getting a new TV set flip that around to somebody who is is in the design install world, you might want to say, if your client is a gamer or there are gamers in the house and they want to get um, the new Xbox or new PlayStation 5, then you can explain to them there are features that are in the new TV sets that are game-centric. I'm not trying to sell you a new TV set, but since you've already bought this game, don't you really want a new TV set to get the utmost out of this new game? And, and there was a lot of that that was being um, highlighted by the various manufacturers across the board. Okay. Well, after we return from a short break, Michael will tell us about his favorite, why didn't I think of that technologies that he found at CES, as well as other technologies catering to... Um, you know this this weird year that we've we've experienced this past uh, 12 months uh so we'll we'll be return after a short break this episode of residential tech talks is brought to you by ring home security systems and smart home automation get protection at every corner with their intelligent security cameras alarm systems and video doorbells receive notifications when motion is detected or check on your home anytime with live view in the ring app Help keep your neighborhood safer with the Neighbors app to share information and discuss safety concerns in this hyper-local social networking platform. Ring's mission is simple. Make neighborhoods safer. Discover all the smart home security products by Ring. Go to ring.com. Welcome back. I'm talking with Residential Tech Today contributing editor and CDA Lifetime Achievement Award winner Michael Heiss. Um, there was um, an area in... Um, at CES uh, that was pretty much touching on all of what we were dealing with with the pandemic this past year, and that was touchless controllers and devices that incorporating UV light to sanitize surfaces. Um, you, you mentioned in one of your articles, Michael, about uh, faucets and toilet flush handles um, that were common touch points in the home being replaced by uh, sensors and things like that with Kohler, uh, Moen, Moen. I guess that's how you pronounce it. I've never actually said Moen. that out loud. Moen, okay, right. And others. Um, so uh, I saw some of that as well. Uh, how much of that did you find uh, interesting? What were some of the trends there that you saw? Well, it, it's not new. I mean, anybody who's, uh, boy, how can, how can I say this uh, gingerly? Anybody who has been to a restroom in a place of public accommodation over the last lots of years you know, if you're in an airport restroom, you don't want to be touching that pandemic aside. You don't know who was in there. You don't <laughs> want to be touching that thing. So they've been using, you know, infrared sensors for that for years in a home environment. You kind of know who's there and you can yell at them to wash their hands and you don't have the same concerns as you do in public accommodation. Things have changed, right? You know, look at where we've been for the last year. 
So that's not something that is necessarily new, but I subscribe to, and one of the things, we'll come back to the original point. One of the things that uh, Eureka Park, which I miss, is being able to you know, walk down the aisle in the basement of the Sands Exhibit Center and say, wow, I never saw that before, that's cool. And if one year you see one thing in that particular category, one year it was dog feeders. <laughs> like, oh, wow, that's cool. Why didn't I think of that if I'm so smart? Right. But then you come back the next year and there are a dozen of them. And you come back the year after and there are dozens and dozens of them. That's a trend and you better get on it. Um, and that's where the touchless plumbing comes in. In right. a bathroom, yeah, okay, you can, you know, we don't want to get into the nitty gritty here, but you can rationalize that. But how about the, the sink uh, in the kitchen? You know, yeah. um, you know, why do uh, uh, doctors have foot pedals to turn the, the water on and off when they're scrubbing up? Hmm. And if you look at a kitchen, you know, it makes sense. Is it a new technology? Absolutely not. It is it a new and expanded application of existing technology? You betcha. What does that tell you? It's something that you should consider, again, depending upon whether you're building a house for yourself or uh, doing that sort of stuff uh, uh, as a living. The light bulb should go off. Is that something that you want to inquire and see if people want or need or be prepared to explain why you might want it? Right. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was incorporated as well was that voice control of the water, which I thought was... Uh, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but it's kind of cool that you could you could have this this hands free situation where you you're handling the the big heavy pot to fill up yep. with water, and you say fill you know three three cups or something, whatever it is. Three that, cups at at uh, seventy five degrees. Right, right. You know, or this cool. recipe calls for cold water. I need three cups of cold water. Did you hear me? I want cold water. <laughs> um, you know that kind of thing. And, and yeah, that's, you know, that's a good combination of technology. And, you know, I, I always say I, I never encourage people to rip off somebody else's technology, rather use and adapt the technology to your own needs. And that's where this kind of thing, uh, you know, comes into play. The other thing, uh, oh, but plumbing, before we leave plumbing, one of the cool things was a Bluetooth equipped shower head. That's been around for a couple of years. I've got one I've never installed because I'm lazy. I've got one that's like, you know, five years old sitting in the garage uh, waiting to be installed because uh, it's so difficult to do that. But somebody uh, had one at finger quotes on display at CES that had a little generator in it and the force of the water coming through the pipe out the, the shower head, charged a little battery so you didn't have to connect it. Mm. You're like, okay, that's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, so that, that sort of thing. But another good example of that is alarm.com had a pressure sensor under a doormat. 
Yeah, I like the sound of that. That was a really a cool innovation. You let off that and with the article. It's so bloody obvious. Why didn't I think of that? Mm -hmm. Now, my office window looks out, you know, on the corner, and I know when the guy in the Amazon truck or FedEx or the, you know, postal carrier is there. And, but what if they want to spray the, um, you know, if it's a bad guy, a porch pirate, and they want to spray the uh, paint over your uh, video doorbell. How do you know that there's somebody there? But if there's a sensor under the doormat, that'll ring the doorbell. And in the normal circumstances, you know, a thing will pop up on a screen in your in your kitchen or house or wherever. You're like, oh yeah, you know, like that's that's the guy who's uh, trying to sell me solar panels. I'm not going to answer the door. Oh man, that's the the delivery person with this expensive thing I ordered, I'd better go out and get it right away. Mm -hmm. And that's so simple. Right. But who what, thought of it? They did. Good yeah, for them. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you also, in that same article, you talked about the connected nursery trend, which I Yeah, really and then that's been going for uh, a while with, you know, sort of obvious things. I mean, baby monitors, are as old as babies themselves. And baby monitors became video baby monitors. But now with uh, the combination of advanced sensors and a lot of AI, there were some very, very clever uh, uses of that to not just, oh, okay, yeah, the baby's crying, but to monitor what the infant is doing, either to say they're awake oh man, I better go in and, and see what's going on. Or, and, and you know, you, you hesitate to say it, but it's maybe even more important. What if they're not awake? Yeah. And, you know, and, and Sid and, and, and all mm -hmm. of that. And a lot of AI that combines what the sensors are reporting with the typical patterns of that particular uh, infant or toddler. And, and I think, uh, you know, been a long time since I've been a, uh, a young parent, but maybe one day grandchildren, and I'll buy one, you know, when we have grandchildren, right? Yeah. Um, that sort of stuff, there were some very unique um, applications. One of them was, or uh, two of them, senses the activity of the child, and if they were getting a little cranky, it bounced the bed. <laughs> you know, very, and, and to, you know, with five different speed settings, so it can lull the child back to sleep. Now, I don't know if you did this, but our son, you know, he's now 34, for goodness sakes, but he was a cranky sleeper to the point where I thought the neighbors were going to call Child Protective Services because he would cry all night. And what did you do as a young parent? You put him in the car and you drove him around a block because that soothed them. Well, what if you had a very slight vibration sort of in a bumper around the baby or in under the mattress or the whole thing bounced up and down? It's like the old thing in motels, you know, a vibrating bed oh, that started and st everything old is new again, uh -huh. that started and stopped in reaction to what the infant was doing. But then how about you add on to that, not just a camera, but a night vision camera, mm -hmm. or how about you add into that a camera and a night vision camera that's tied to a clock 
so that not only do you know what's going on, but it'll timestamp, oh, the baby was crying. We're out on a date somewhere. And we knew that the caretaker or the babysitter came in. And at what time? Obvious stuff, but why didn't we think of it? Mm -hmm. There were some really cool things. The one that I found the most disturbing. Another one you're going to talk about, the the car. Is um, two different products that sensed whether or not you left a baby in the car. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? I mean, really? And one of them does it because you um, pair it up with your cell phone. And obviously, if you're an important person and you, uh, oh, yeah, the kid's in the backseat. I got to go and, you know, get a quart of milk or something. And when the uh, car seat device loses the Bluetooth connection, it then pings your phone that says, yo, idiot, you left your kid in the car for crying out loud. And then one of them was just a mat that slipped under the car seat. And after 45 seconds, it pings your phone. After two minutes, it pings your appointed, you know, second person. After some number of times, it calls somebody else. And my take on it is, if you left a kid in the car, the first one it should call is Child Protective Services and the cops for crying out loud. Yeah. But- uh, you know, um, invention but is the mother mother of necessity. I I the only thing I made a leap on this one because I could not make sense of how this needs to exist. But if you had a babysitter or a nanny, it was a way for a parent to feel more uh, trusting of that person if they're removing the kid from the home and going somewhere that they're being responsible and not trying to get away with leaving the kid in the car or something. Sure, no, the, the, you know. Having a fire, the best thing about having a fire extinguisher is never having to use it. Yeah. But when you need it, it, it's there. And unfortunately, I mean, you see it every year, you know, kid left in a hot, in in the middle of a heat wave in the car. Right. Um, You know, a a kid left in a car when it's cold because somebody went in to buy whatever. And regrettably, you see that. Now I'm going to give away a free idea but since I'm doing this in a public forum, you can't patent it. And I want 10% there. <laughs> Take that same thing. But this is, this is actually important. Take the technology that somebody else has done. And why don't you use that same technology for a dog harness? Hmm. You know, people kind of tend not to leave their kids in the car, thankfully. But people do leave their pets in the car, their dogs. I don't know people taking the cat in the car, but people, you know, leave their dog in the car because they figure what the heck it's a dog. Well, you know, hot and cold I- impacts them also. Right. And why don't you apply that same technology to a, a car pet harness? Right. Well, on the topic of home health, a uh, similar topic, I guess, uh, there was a, a product from uh, Our Air, I believe, A-U-R Air, yeah, and, and they and they put that in the release. It's, it's pronounced our, not your air, our air. Yes, the Arrow One, numeral one, and uh, and it's one of these uh, sensors or, um, I guess, CO two monitor, smoke monitor type of thing, VOCs. So, what do you know about that product? Well, again, I know about it because I saw it in the virtual CES 
But here's the problem. Regrettably, I couldn't walk up to the booth and ask them questions or ask them to demonstrate it or say, well, what if this, can it do that? So, you know, uh, to be fair, there's stuff that I don't know because I just read the press release, Mm -hmm. but it is a monitor, as you said, but it has all the triggers built in. Do I want to uh, open the windows if you can? Do I want to turn on the air filter? Do I want to turn on a fan? Do What do I want to do based on the condition at the time? One of the things that w- was interesting is that, I mean, everybody's got, you have to, it, it's the law and in almost every jurisdiction, you have to have a uh, smoke detector and a CO2 detector, but what about VOC? What about particulate matter? And those are the kinds of things where, yes, you didn't think of it. Somebody else thunk it up and making a thing like that is is pretty wild. Um, but then you can use it and implement it into a system. There's one other thing that I'd like to, to mention just because I think it was the, the neatest idea. And I don't remember if I mentioned it in the article was the... Um, AI-driven recycling bin. Mm-mm, yeah, that wasn't in the article. The name of which escapes me at the moment. And this is still a startup, but it's um, it's going to be coming out this year. It replaces. Uh, we have a compactor. We we haven't redone the kitchen in you know in fifteen years, and I'm going to take the compactor out and maybe probably put in a wine cooler or something. But this is a device that's about the size of what you used to have for a compactor. And today with people want to recycle, but they don't know if they can or how to. So you put something in the little bin. Is it a clear bottle, a brown bottle, a green bottle? Um, Is it plastic with the one, two, three, four, or five, or does it have a label on it? And you put it in the little receptacle, thanks to sensors and AI, it can actually figure out what you just put in. Hmm. And if it's something that just can't be recycled, it sort of tosses it into one bin. But if it's, for example, um, a bottle, it will sense the color, sense the type of material, wash off the label, wash the inside of the thing, and then crush it and put the, the... the crumbles into a bin divided by type of material. And then you can either recycle it or the, the company, I'll have to you know send you the link for that. Uh, the company will then collect it and you even get a piece of the action. So hmm. you help the planet, you uh, can feel environmentally conscious and maybe you know have a little ROI. I mean, that's out of the box thinking. Yeah, now that sounds like something that would require a bigger space than what you described, but uh, it's pretty uh, pretty awesome if that all happens in that yeah in that space. And uh, um, it reminds me of one of these uh, you know technologies you would see at CES in the appliance areas of these major uh, Asian manufacturer companies, like a, a clothes folding um, device. You know that you closet. Know, but when you got to stop right there. I've been writing about that since the first time I saw it, maybe three or four years ago yeah. and everybody, and maybe it, it's out there, 
but there was one that there was one that was about eleven hundred dollars, and there was one huge one that you may have seen that was like fifteen thousand dollars. Didn't see too much about it this year. So there's an example of you gotta sometimes wait through the hype cycle mm -hmm. to see if it's real. Right. You know, it, if you can afford fifteen thousand dollars to buy a laundry folding thing, take the <laughs> stuff to the bloody laundry or have somebody come in and do the laundry for you. Exactly. Well, uh, it, I, I just, I, obviously this is, has a greater good uh, potential, this recycling uh, oh, device. Sure. And, but it just, to me, it's like, wow, that's a, there's a lot of moving parts that seem to have to come together, even with AI to make that work, but uh, really cool sounding. You know, we'll they, they, they say they're doing a, um, a 70 home trial up in Menlo Park. What a okay. surprise. Oh, yeah. Um, what do you call it? Uh, this year. Okay. So, you know, stranger and more complex devices have been uh, constructed. And, you know, good luck to them. Well, when we uh, we get off uh, the, the uh, interview here, we'll, I'll get that website from you and we'll put sure. that in the show notes when we post the uh, podcast. So um, just to wrap up, uh, I know that you've got something else on your horizon here as far as an article and believe it has to do with what we're doing right now, which uh, for those watching the video is engaging on Zoom. Uh, you, you wrote about the importance of the audio component of the Zoom uh, presentation. Uh, now you're going to address the, the video side, correct? Correct. Yeah. And you know, Audio is important. I mean, uh, anybody looking at, at when you're on the screen, you can see that you've got a microphone. Um, I have a microphone that, that's off camera, but I either have a microphone or sometimes I have, uh, you know, you put on your, your headsets with a microphone because it's important that people, what a novel concept, can understand what you're saying with clarity and that you can hear them. Um, you know, different types of headphones. Um, wired is better. I mean, maybe, and, and that's the good part. You're wearing an in-ear monitor and maybe, why don't you just uh, sort of show the cable? Um, yeah, there you go. Gee, it's just like you're, you know, on CNN or something, <laughs> um, or you're a secret service agent with a little squiggly thing. But you don't have to spend a lot of money but you can use that sort of thing. And as a participant in a Zoom, look more professional uh, and have better clarity for the people that are trying to listen to you and have you hear them. Uh, that's why, I mean, again, here's uh, on ear and I've got at the other end of the desk over ears, depending upon the environment. That's just something that people don't think about. Um, Using using the microphone that's, that's in the webcam, okay, it's better than nothing, but when you get into people who are using tablets or smartphones, you want something more. Um, I have a thing about AirPods because I think they look goony with the little things hanging down, but they're very popular and, and I know they sound good, but uh, TWS, uh, True Wireless Stereo uh, Earbuds, are great. Some are better for this than others, and they're they're mentioned in the article. Um, people just ignore the audio side of things, and and that's just uh, something you shouldn't do. 
So give us a little hint about how you're going to address then the video side, because a lot of us have embedded cameras in a laptop screen or uh, maybe an external camera. Uh, are you going to cover cameras, lighting, you all the above? So, and again, I in my office, I've got one set up. Uh, that's my main work area that we're using now, and it's got three screens, and it's got a webcam over there, and I've got a lot of lights. And those are things, and I originally come from a TV production uh, world, so those are things that are natural, but they're a little and not ridiculously expensive things that you can do to make the picture look better, better light. Uh, at the other side of the desk, I've got another setup that I use when I do uh, Zoom courses or other things with my wife. And one of the things that people don't realize is that the field of view is very important. So my camera here is just about arm's length and it's just me. But if there were, if you're doing a family Zoom or if two of you are in a course or a, you know, faith service or whatever, you wanna be able to see so I can move over here and my wife can sit over here because there's a wide enough field of view. But if the camera has a narrow field of view, you're only gonna see one person. And there are specs that you could look into that will help guide the user uh, uh, to that. Another thing uh, for those who really want good video quality, a lot of the um, uh, point and shoot, well, nobody has point and shoot cameras anymore. You either <laughs> use your phone or you have a DSLR. And if you have a DSLR, and you want to use that um, for your uh, video conferences, those typically have an HDMI output. The input to your computer for Zoom and WebEx and so forth is USB. And you're like, how do I connect those two together? You spend anywhere between 35 and $75 and you get an adapter. Wow. What a novel concept. If you already have the camera, buy the adapter and you're, and you're golden. And, you know, those are the kinds of things that once you hear about it or think about it, maybe they seem obvious, but if you haven't thought about it, it's just, it's just out there. Um, you know, all kinds of um, extension cords and <clears throat> One of the things I've, I've recommended to people that um, some of them a little bit more on the elderly side uh, that uh, use tablets or smartphones is to beam it up to their TV, either by using a lightning or USB-C or uh, um, mini connector, micro connector, and connect it to your TV set or use um, uh AirPlay, you know, use an Apple TV or use Chromecast so that you can sit back, please put the tablet on a stand so you don't get the up your nose. That drives me even more crazy than earpods. Um, so that you can get a full facial uh, thing and then you can see everybody on the Zoom. If people are into Zooms and you, you get crazy because you've got you know, 28 people in a little smartphone or even on a tablet, you want to go, oh, that's, you know, Uncle Joe, but is it Uncle Joe? And is that, 
you know, is that his mistress or is that, you know, Aunt Martha sitting next to him? You want to have that on the big TV. <laughs> and, you know, that's the kind of thing that is easy to do when you know how to do it. And we're going to uh, we're going to be uh, writing about that. I mean, one other thing is uh, docs. And, um, you know, I've got a bunch of them. I'm using two of them now because you run out of USB ports and you run out of HDMI ports. So the monitors that I'm using now are connected via one of the uh, uh, docs I have from a company called OWC. It's got two HDMI 4K outputs, hmm. you know, that, that just makes life so much easier. Connect your speakers to it. It's obvious, or particularly if people are doing things that are tablet, smartphone, or even a laptop-based, if you have a a product, a computer, or the one I'm using now that has USB-C power delivery, then you don't even need to use the external uh, adapter. It just comes in through the dock. And that's that's just one of, again, if it's so obvious, but you haven't thought about it, you know, I feel that our job here at Residential Tech is to bring it to your attention so that, you know, you can look smart too. Even there are power strips. Well, what's the big deal with power strips? Well, power strips were designed, you know, 300 years ago for people to plug plugs into it. But what if you've got 12 different wall ward adapters, a six outlet power strip can only accommodate two or three things, but there are power strips from a number of manufacturers that either have more spacing or have the orientation done so that you can fit in the adapter for this, the adapter for that, the adapter for something else. And, and that's, you know, that's a real easy one. And since I know there are a lot of, um, of professionals that are watching this, there's an even easier one that I think it's obvious, but I'm not sure many people use the uh, big power strips that you'd run inside a rack, an equipment mm -hmm. rack, which typically have about three or four inch spacing between the AC outlets. There are smaller ones than that, than the big six foot long ones you put inside a rack. And those are perfect. And I've got five of them running across the the surface of my desktop here. And that way I have room to plug everything in. That's an easy thing to do. And boy, does it make you look good. Well, as usual, uh, you've covered a lot of tech, a lot of uh, little gadgets here and there and big stuff too. Um, Michael Heiss is a CDL Lifetime Achievement Award winner, contributing editor of Residential Tech Today, and you can learn more about his background uh, on episode 30 of Residential Tech Talk, so you can go back and listen to that. Uh, Michael, best of luck for 2021. Thanks so much for being on the podcast again. You too, Jeremy, anytime. Also, thanks to everyone for joining us. Be sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and check out all the latest residential tech news at restechtoday.com. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. Residential, residential tech talk, lighting specialist to our residential tech